Good morning, Christ Chapel. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 11 this morning. If you want to start flipping there, we have got a lot to cover and we are going to get after it. Special welcome to the West Campus, to Hive, to South Campus, to our people, my people in Converge. We love you all. Um, Also to those who are watching online. This morning, we are going to be walking through uh, this, this chapter 11, specifically the last five verses. But let me preview where we're going. The past few weeks, we've been in this series, Stand Up. And, and in this series, Stand Up, we've seen in the book of Matthew that followers of Christ are called to stand up for their faith in ways that are difficult and hard and challenging, in ways that will produce perse- pers- um, persecution in our life. Um, that's going to happen. Uh, it can be weary. It can be lonely. It can be discouraging. There's going to be a rejection if we are following Christ in the world that we live in. We're promised that. We're also promised that it's worth it. And so as we approach specifically the end of Matthew chapter 11, um, I'm just struck by this idea of the weariness that so often comes from standing up, standing up, taking wave after wave after wave, um, and, and getting weary, feeling burdened. This call to rest that Jesus offers at the end of this chapter is so so applicable. We so often are people that are tired. We are tired. And tired in a way that vacations and a day off and an extra nap doesn't fix. The end of chapter 11, uh, three possibly familiar verses to you that are this encouragement from the mouth of Jesus uh, that gives us this pathway to endurance uh, that we talk about here. And so I want to read these to you and then we're going to back up and just work our way through the chapter uh, to land on them at the end as well. Jesus said this, He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We need that. We need that. My goal this morning is Um, Hopefully that we would not just leave here encouraged, but that we would leave here understanding what God's word is for us and how we apply it to our life. So let me give some context before we get to to these really important call to come and rest and and take this light um, burden of Jesus. Chapter 11 starts with John the Baptist, who's in prison, sending his disciples to Jesus. And so John the Baptist is in prison, and, and the disciples show up to Jesus as he's teaching and doing ministry, and they ask Christ, they say, are you the one? Are you the one that we have been waiting for? As we follow John the Baptist, John the Baptist's role in history was to proclaim that the Messiah was coming, the Messiah was coming, the Messiah was coming, and they ask, are you him, or do we need to be waiting for someone else? And Jesus functionally answers, I am him. I am the fulfillment of these prophecies. And so we see that, and then we see Jesus uh, continue to teach in these towns around the area of the Sea of Galilee, and and he he goes from town to town, revealing who he is as the fulfillment of prophecy, as the one they've been waiting for, as the Messiah, and these cities, they reject him. They see him, they're impressed with his incredible works, but they reject him. And verses 20 through 24, um, Christ stands before those towns and he condemns them. He condemns them. He talks about judgment and declares um, that they will be judged, they will be doomed because they saw Jesus and they rejected him. And so let's pick up in verse 25 as Jesus seemingly then turns back to his followers and he declares this. Verse 25 and 26. 
At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So here we have to see that Jesus is referring to salvation here. Throughout this chapter and even where chapter 11 goes and lands, this idea of, of come to me and I will give you rest is really a call to salvation. It's right on the heels, if we understand the context, of him condemning these cities, saying they're doomed because you've rejected me. And so he's talking about salvation, and more specifically, he's referring to this salvific knowledge of who he is as the fulfillment of prophecy. The one who history has been waiting for, the, the one who we have been anticipating, is now revealed city after city, and they rejected him. And more so, we see in the book of Matthew that yet this is another example of, of how God just seems to do things upside down in a way that's counterintuitive uh, to our instincts. Because the truth of who Jesus is, is hidden, it says in the passage, is hidden from the wise and the understanding. So town after town, Jesus visited these synagogues in Chorazin and Bethsaida, right, and, and, and Capernaum. And, and he visited these places and these synagogues that were filled with religious people who would literally spend their life studying and preparing for the Messiah. And really for three years of his ministry, 90% of his ministry was spent in these towns. It wasn't just he stopped by one time and they couldn't see it. It was hidden from them. But instead, verse 25 says, the saving revelation of Jesus Christ, a historic person born in a manger 2,000 years ago revealed to be God incarnate to little children. That was God's sovereign will that we see. Not the wise, not the understanding, but instead revealed to little children. Let me explain uh, that idea of little children. Little children in the Greek, uh, it means little children. Uh, that's, what, that's what that means. And when we cross-reference that, uh, we see that he uses, this idea of little children is used all the time in, in Scripture to refer to this idea of childlike faith. But Jesus in Mark 10 uses the same word when he talks about don't, don't keep the children from coming to me. Let them come to me because if you don't come to me with this childlike faith, then you aren't going to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we see this idea of childlike faith is who sovereign God has chosen to reveal himself, not these religious studied people who missed it. It's not self-taught knowledge not earning it through our own religious traditions, the rest Jesus provides cannot be self-taught or earned. It can't. It can't be self-taught or earned. We can't just muster up enough strength to be able to receive this salvific rest. And so if, if we can't do that, if we can't just acquire that, it's one of the things I love about what it means and really what it takes to follow Jesus. I love that idea because the world would say, the world would say you need more knowledge. Right, the world would say, you need to figure it out first. It needs to all click. I think even our flesh, right, my instincts would say, well, I got I to get the puzzle all fit together, and then I can trust, and then I can follow. But Jesus says, start with trusting me first, like the kid, like the kid who comes to his dad because he trusts his dad's voice. And, he, and his dad says, come, and he says, I'm there. As you are, come just the way you are. Not having it all figured out before you can experience Christ, just come to me. So let me illustrate it this way. Um, I think there are two types of people who go to Disney World. There is the type of person who goes to Disney World 
and you have a plan. You have a plan. You have printed the map of, of the entire campus. You have, have mapped it all. You've got a color-coordinated uh, Excel spreadsheet. You've got times and when you're doing what and where you're eating and how much. And you've got this whole pathway for your Disney vacation, right? And you've got it organized and you've wrapped your brain around how we're going to maximize and squeeze all of the fun we can into this magical little kingdom. And then there's the other type of person that says, there's a map, right? That they say, I know there's a front gate and I'll go to the front gate, but I have no plan. I'm just going. I'm just, whenever I see something shiny and cool, I'll go and I'll get in that line, right? Well, when will you eat? Well, I'll eat when I'm hungry, right? There are two types of people in that. And I think so often we we, the kingdom of God is very different, right? The kingdom of God is very different. And yet so often we want to take God and take his ways and take what it looks like to follow him. And I want with my knowledge and understanding to be able to fit him onto a map that makes sense for my life. I, I ultimately, what, what I'm doing is I want to reduce him to fit on a map that I can track and I can control and I can, I can understand with my understanding. I'm comfortable then to navigate. I want to learn enough things so that then I'm comfortable to be able to to list who he is and put him in this theological box. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. We are still called to grow in our knowledge of Christ, right? And and learn and be thoughtful for how we follow him. And, And here, even later in these verses, Jesus will say, learn, learn from me, he'll say. We don't check our brains at the door in the Christian faith. Right? We must continue to wrestle with the things of God, what is true, who he is, but not to reduce God to fit us. Instead, learn from him. Expand God appropriately. Right? We should absolutely be in the business of, of correct and deep theology, but our theology should make us smaller, childlike, and God bigger. Good theology should produce worship and awe because he just keeps getting bigger and bigger the more we love him with our minds. As opposed to um, making God smaller and us becoming haughty and proud that, that he, we understand his ways and he, he fits in a nice box that we can control. To follow Jesus, to find the ultimate rest that he gives is initiated by this childlike faith. And you can't learn enough or earn enough to get that rest. And that's incredibly unique. It is not only unique, it is exclusive. The rest that Jesus provides is exclusive to him alone. It is exclusive. There is no other way to get this salvific rest. The very next verse, verse 27, Jesus says this. He says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus has been handed the keys, right? No one else. No one knows the Father except the Son. Salvation is through one person and those who he reveals. So salvation is through one path. This exclusive claim of Christianity is incredibly offensive to the world we live in. It's incredibly offensive to my flesh, honestly, to my sinful desires to make this thing about me and to be able to choose my own path. The world would say, everyone's got the keys. The world would say, hey, whatever path you think, whatever way you want, whatever is true for you, great, that's 
what is true, and that is your truth, and, and you can have your truth, and we just customize that. And that's in direct conflict with the words of Jesus Christ. Right? Christ says that wide is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. There is this exclusive path. He is the only way. And yet, and yet, don't miss this, he's incredibly generous with it. He is incredibly generous. The rest Jesus provides is just given freely to anyone who would come to him. That is encouraging. The exclusivity of Christ is beautiful because we have a Savior, a Christ, who is so generous, who says, come, anyone who will come and be yoked with me could get it. Verses 28 through 30. Here we go. These three verses we started with. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the God of all creation, right? Jesus, there at the beginning of time, the, the image of the invisible God, as Colossians tells us, the holiness and grandeur and power of God with skin on, who then stands before his people and says, I am lowly and humble. That's who this is. The God of all the universe with skin on, incarnate, standing before his people saying, I am holy. Humble, I am lowly, you can come to me. I am approachable, no matter where you are. I want to help carry your burden. And as he stands before these people and he says that, I'm blown away. This verse, though, um, I think so often uh, becomes so routine. Often, if, if you grew up in church and you heard this verse a lot, or you got the coffee mug or the t-shirt with it on it, it's a, it's a great verse. Um, but I think sometimes, sometimes we look at it and we've got to shake the dust off of it. And we've got to see it with fresh eyes. We've got to say, Lord, would you remind me of how powerful and, and beautiful this, this call is. This good news, the salvation that God offers. Has, has that become something that bores us a little bit? Here's, here's what I mean. Um, you're watching a sermon in a church right now. right? And so I would imagine there's a good amount of us who are here, and, and you're watching the sermon in church, and you're thinking, yes, yes, Jesus is the way. That's good. That's great. I know that. What else? There is nothing else. There is nothing else. The gospel, the depth of that one, that one exclusive Truth changes everything. There is an eternity of implications and applications to my life. How I might be sanctified and matured because of this one truth. But there's nothing else. And, and, and something that the wise and the understanding will miss. Because they're looking for something else. But those with childlike faith will say, I am so burdened. I'm so heavy laden. I'm weary, I'm tired, let me come to you, Jesus. And he will stand and he says, come to me and I will give you rest. I want that. I want that. I need that. We need that. I want that for you. I want that for the, the doubter in the room. 
I want that for the hurting, for the one covered in shame who just can't seem to get free from this pattern of sin, that they would get to experience that rest. For the one going through the motions, feels distant, keeps checking the box, keeps showing up, but there's no real rest, still burdened, still heavy laden. If you find yourself burdened, this is for you. So what is it? What is this yoke? What is this yoke that if I take this yoke on to experience the rest and the peace he offers? It's an important part of this passage, right? It shouldn't be overlooked. Because Jesus is not saying here in this passage, um, just come to me when things are hard and I will take all of those hard things, right? This is not footprints in the sand poem, right? If you know that poem where you got walking along with Jesus on the beach and there's two footprints and then things get really hard and you look back and there's only one set of footprints, it's because Jesus is carrying you. It's great, sweet poem. Not at all what this is saying. Great, please don't send me an angry email if you love that poem and you got a back tattoo of it. It's a great poem. I love it. <clears throat> Good life decisions, I, I'm, I'm on board with you, right? But that is not what Jesus is saying, right? He's not saying, I'm going to carry your burdens. He's saying, you're burdened, come and be yoked to me. Not I'm going to carry everything, but come and be yoked to me. And that's so, so important. Um, let me define that, right? A, a yoke is this piece of wood that links two animals together. I think we've got a picture of it, right? You, you're sharp people, right? It's this idea of being linked, being connected, and that's what Jesus is offering here, but more so, um, it's this way that two animals are linked together, and then they're maximized, but they walk in step with each other, and Jesus says his yoke, he describes his yoke that he is offering to attach to you, that you would be submitted to. He says his yoke is easy. He says his burden is light, we got to dig in here, right? Because he can't, he can't be saying that life is easy, right? He, he can't just be saying, hey, if you yoke your life to me, then your life will be easy. Because in the context of where we've been the last few chapters, he, he has been talking for chapters on if you follow me, it will be hard. Brother against sister and mother against daughter. and I mean, there will be division and divisiveness and difficulty and persecution It'll be worth it, but it'll be hard. And so he's not saying his, your life will be easy. So what's he saying? Why is his yoke light? In the first century, the Jewish people would have been very familiar with this idea of yoke. Not just because they were an agrarian culture, but because Judaism commonly used this idea of yoke as a metaphor to reference the law. So Pharisees would have talked about this. People in the synagogues would have talked about it. They would have used that word, and they would have used it as a metaphor for the law. Right? The, the rules, the religious leaders, they taught the law. They expected the following of the law. The law was referred to as the yoke often, but it was known as this crushing, honestly, weight and this impossible standard and this burden to achieve. Uh, Jewish tradition suggests that there are 613 laws to obey in scripture. That's 613 things to do or not to do. And so that as a yoke to keep up with that, to, to be in obedience with those in order to be holy is a burden. Uh, it's unbearable. It's unachievable. And so then Jesus shows up and he's the fulfillment of the law 
right, in all the prophecies. And they're so busy with learning and understanding and achieving and understanding this incredibly burdensome yoke that they miss the Savior in front of them who comes and says, it's not how righteous your life looks or how much knowledge you think you have. I want childlike faith. Come, come and be yoked to me, to Christ. A yoke that sits on your shoulders, that links us together. It's not your holiness. It's God's grace. It's God's grace. That's why it's so light. He's offering this salvific rest for those who have childlike faith to come. He's offering it by grace through faith for people who will come because he lived the life that we were called to and cannot. And he died and rose again so that we can be yoked to him and experience the reward of that, experience the righteousness given to us from that. His burden is easy, not because the Christian life is easy, but because his grace is And that's what unites us, not my works. Now again, make no mistake. This does not mean that holiness is not a big deal. Holiness is a huge deal. Holiness is what we are called to be as Christians. Holiness is how the Christian is commanded to live out his daily life. But this is teaching us that holiness is not the list of things to do so that I can have Jesus. Holiness is what comes out of me when I have Jesus. Let me say that again. I think that's such an important thing, and I I get that backwards all the time in my life. Holiness is not the list of things to do so that I get Jesus. Holiness is what is produced out of me because I already have Jesus by his grace through faith. And having Jesus right, is for anyone. Being yoked to Jesus is for anyone with that childlike faith. Tripping and stumbling over their own sin and mistakes and ignorance and immaturity and insecurities, tripping over themselves, but running towards a father who says, come, I'm gentle and I'm lowly and I'm humble and I'll meet you where you're at. That is beautiful. In Jesus, holiness and power and His greatness, he says, I will humble myself so that you can be yoked to me and we can walk side by side, which is what we're designed to do. Not only only has this um, happened in our lives, right? Not only is this available to us, but it affects our daily life, right? This truth, this Um, This salvific rest, it affects our daily life. So three questions for us. Three questions that are important for us to understand. Are they really affecting our daily life? The first is, have you brought your soul to Christ? Have you brought your soul to Christ? Scripture seems pretty sobering. It soberingly points out that many people will hear and see Jesus. Many people will even become huge fans of Christ. But earlier, even in the book of Matthew in chapter 7, we see uh, that many, many of those people never really knew him. He he was never really known by Christ, by the Father. They were never all in. Some of you are still trying to earn it or learn it all before you can come and surrender and bring your soul to Christ. Some of you are still believing that you've got to get all cleaned up 
before you can come and follow Jesus. Whereas Jesus is asking for childlike faith to trust that he can handle your mess. He can handle the fact that you have not arrived yet. He can handle the fact that you still feel stuck, right? And that he will be the one who cleans you up. But you know who's messy? Right? You know who's really messy and really undeserving to sit at a king's table? A little child. That's who. And yet that's who God calls to come and sit at his table and have a seat there. 2,000 years ago, this humble and lowly, powerful king of the universe hung on a cross for sinners so that we don't have to check all 613 boxes. We just come to him. And let him work out that holiness in our life, yoked to him, step by step, one step at a time, with our burdens and our weariness and our doubts. And if you're still, if you're here, or you're watching this, or you're listening to this, and you're here, and you're still trying to fit it all together, get yourself cleaned up before you give your soul to Christ, before you surrender to the Lord, I don't think it's an accident that you were here this morning. I don't. I don't think it was an accident. If that's you, and the Holy Spirit is poking, saying, just come to me. I don't think it's an accident. I'd encourage you to listen to it. If you haven't done that, then you're not going to experience the eternal rest. You're not going to experience it in this life. This easy yoke that, that we are allowed in this life. This experience of the light burden. But once you've done that, then every day we then ask ourselves this question. Are you linking your life with Christ? Am I linking my life with Christ. And it's this ongoing relationship, right? His offer to be, to be yoked to him, to be linked to him, is ongoing. Coming to Jesus, being yoked, is, is not about a one-time decision, right? It's a relationship where I'm submitted to him. His steps are my steps. I want his ways to be my ways. Can I be on, honest with you? Let's just keep this private between us in here. I am a sinner, I am ongoingly a sinner. I have not arrived. I am, I am saved by grace and nothing can snatch that salvation away from me. But I am still an ongoing sinner in need of an ongoing relationship of grace. Need to be yoked to that relationship of grace. Working out my salvation in what looks like sanctification. And there's a couple of ways I think we get real practical about doing that, but a lot of it is I want to challenge you to do business with God and wrestle through those things. A couple of real practical things, though, are spiritual disciplines to step into. There are things that you can. We are called, I am called to step into, and spiritual disciplines, which are studying God's Word and being in prayer, being in community, being in, in community and fellowship with believers that you can confess your sin to. And they could speak grace and walk with you in accountability, a corporate worship. All of those things are these spiritual disciplines that are given as a gift to help us stay linked to Christ. If I'm supposed to be linked to my wife in marriage, right, there's so much more to that than just a ceremony that happened in April 15 years ago. Right? It is an ongoing thing that I have to continue to learn and know and serve and walk with. And so maybe you ask yourself the question, um, okay, what am I, am I linking my life to Christ currently? And maybe when you ask that question, it's not just what are some things that I should step into and deepen so that that bond, that depth gets deeper and deeper. Maybe for you when you ask that question, you think what are some things I need to step out of? And so real practically, spend some time 
the Lord, that he would reveal to you, God, what are the things that I need to walk out of? Where do I, where do I find that I actually will yoke myself outside of Christ? Where, where do I go for rest and fulfillment? That isn't Jesus, because we all do that. We all do that, and it's subtle, and it's sneaky, right? Are you, are you linked and ongoingly linked to Christ or yoked to your performance at your job for your satisfaction? Or my growth in my bank account or the affirmation I might get from others or, or the influence I might be able to have over others? What am I linking my life? Am I linking my life to coping mechanisms that when I'm burdened and heavy laden, we all have them, right? The world will come to us and say, hey, this will lighten your load. Whether that's binge watching Netflix, whether that's just working and working and working and working so that I feel like I've accomplished more, whatever that looks like, there's all kinds of coping mechanisms that the world will and does offer to say, rest in this. And it might work for a second. It might work for a second, but it's fleeting. And we return to our exhaustion. And then we go to faulty mechanisms to find our rest. Are you linking your life with Christ? And that's not a yes or no question. Right? That, that's not a yes or no question on your notes. That's a daily diagnostic of my soul and my heart to, that should be running at all times. And oh, if God would be so gracious to reveal, to reveal to me. God, show me those areas on a daily basis. Be so kind to show me, Ben, what are you doing? You're connected here, but you're finding your satisfaction. You're finding your rest. You're finding relief from here instead of me ongoing deeper and deeper and deeper. What do I need to walk away from? What do you need to walk into so your soul will continue to say deeper and deeper, I am his and he is mine. Ongoing depth in relationship that we might look up a decade from now and say, oh, the fruit of that, the fruit of being yoked to the Lord deeply over time. And then the last question um, which I think spawns from that. Not only am I linking my life currently, but am I experiencing the rest that he alone gives? And I mean that even on a, on a daily basis. I mean that in a, in a seasonal way. Here on this side of eternity, am I really getting to experience that? And if you struggle with the question too, am I linking my life and, and you have a hard time, well, I don't know, I don't know if I'm really linking my life to other things. If, if that's difficult, the gray of that question is difficult, but you answer this question, you think, yeah, I am, I am burdened and I am weary and I find myself constantly exhausted in my soul, then it's probably an indication that, okay, I need to circle back around and, and change some of those things of what I'm yoked to. Now listen, it doesn't mean you're not saved right? This is a question about sanctification, the maturity process. It's about the fruit of our salvation. Because you see, there's these two types of rest. Jesus, throughout this passage, is unapologetically, he's talking about salvation here. But the assurance of my salvation, the assurance of your salvation, the confidence in the hope you have, it should produce fruit in this life right now. It should be producing fruit there. The weariness of a life that makes me want to throw in the towel or find something else to link my life to, to cope with, rest is available, church. Rest is available through Christ and Christ alone. And the depth of how I adore his saving gospel will be the depth at which I lay my burdens down on a daily basis and a seasonal basis when things are hard. 
Let me end with um, this final true story that I think personifies really an extreme example, but an example nonetheless of, of how that plays out in our life. Horatio Spafford um, was a man, he lived in the late 1800s in America, in the Chicago area, uh, and he was a godly man. He had yoked his life to Christ. He had raised a family um, that yoked their life to Christ. They had come to him, uh, and he's most well-known for writing the hymn, It Is Well. It is well with my soul. That's what he's most famous for. And the story of how that um, came to be, the lyrics of that song were written, you might know. Um, but he had, uh, he had a son who died of scarlet fever, four-year-old son. And when his son died, uh, they decided, you know what, our, our family's tired. Let's go take a vacation. And so they decided to take a vacation in England. And he had some stuff to finish up, some business to finish up in Chicago. And so he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead of, ahead of him. And as his wife and four daughters were on a ship sailing across the Atlantic, a horrible accident happened, and the ship sank. And all four of his daughters drowned. And his wife got to the other side, and she was rescued with some other passengers. And she sent him a telegram and just said, saved alone, what shall I do? So he gets in a boat, goes to be with his wife. And as he's sailing across the Atlantic, the captain, who's aware of what had happened and specifically aware that, that he had lost his four daughters, they had been lost, uh, stopped the boat, asked him if he wanted to stop the boat. And so they stopped the boat over where his daughters had been lost. That man, in the 1870-something, sat on the bowels of that ship where he had lost his daughters, and he wrote the lyrics, It is well with my soul. You don't get, you don't get to say, It is well with my soul, when you're floating above the watery grave of four daughters, unless your soul is yoked to something that has power, something that has real power, that's what we are offered to be yoked to eternally. And that eternal yoking produces freedom and rest that is unexplainable through any other way. You don't get to say it is well with that kind of loss if you're not connected to power, not religious tradition, not an emotional crutch, but Jesus Christ no matter what burden or tragedy or, or weary thing is waiting for you when you leave this sanctuary, there is a future hope that produces a current resting that's available to us in Christ. Horatio Spafford's future assurance of hope produced a present resting in him for a weary and burdened, and I can't even imagine, grieving man. Are you burdened? Are you heavy laden? He will give you rest. He will give you rest that doesn't even make sense. Because that's who he is. Christ Chapel, your Monday morning should look different because of your eternity. Tomorrow, this week, how you live out your life this next week should look different because of your eternity if you're in Christ. Your burdens at work, your weariness in relationship, the circumstances in your life that will play out this next week, would we be moved and would we be affected by the gospel of Christ, his call to come, the reality that we are yoked to the king of the universe, the controller of all things, who is gentle and lowly and loves you enough to walk with you step by step.
know that you are loved. And let's walk that out in a way that this world needs to see. Father, thank you for who you are and how you love us, God. Your grace, your patience with us. God, as we, as a community, those who are believers in this room, as we approach the table of communion, a time of communion together, God, would we be just moved by the fact that we have a seat at your table to break bread with you, our God, our King, because of Christ, because of your grace. Lord, would you continue to be so kind to reveal the, the false mechanisms that we might yoke our life to and how we might wriggle out of your yoke and, and wander into the weeds. And would you be so gracious and kind to continue to mature us as a people for a world around us to see as a witness how good you are, how light your burden is. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. In the name of Jesus, amen.